This is Digital Pathology Today. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joseph Anderson. Welcome to Digital Pathology Today. I'm Joe Anderson. As we move towards full-scale adoption of digital pathology, I've heard it said that the computer monitor is going to replace the pathologist's microscope. Does that make the display or the monitor one of the most important pieces of equipment? And is it overlooked? What are the different levels or grades of displays? We've heard about medical grade displays, consumer grade, off-the-shelf models. What do these terms mean? What exactly is the pixel pathway? How are displays evaluated? What about terms such as luminance, uniformity, color accuracy? What does FEA regulation mean for displays and digital pathology? Are monitors going to be regulated the same way drugs and diagnostics are? Our guest today is Dr. Jacob Abel from the University of Michigan, and we're going to be talking all things about computer monitors and displays in digital pathology. This episode of Digital Pathology Today has been brought to you in part by JAV Advisors. With over 16 years' experience, JAV Advisors focuses on business and management consulting for digital pathology and artificial intelligence in deployment within histology, pathology, and cytology laboratories throughout the world. Call 213-258-6268 for more information. JAV Advisors. Dr. Jacob Abel, welcome to the podcast. Hi, uh, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you. We're talking about digital pathology, uh, displays, and monitors today. So tell us a little bit about yourself, how your background in digital pathology, the experience you've had so far, and how'd you get interested in in, uh, displays? Yeah, so I'm currently a clinical instructor and fellow in the Division of Pathology Informatics at the University of Michigan. I'm also pursuing my molecular genetic pathology fellowship uh, concurrently. So I have sort of a foot in both the uh, sort of the molecular and digital pathology spaces. And so I think, you know, I think we have something a little bit in common there, actually. But today, I'm just hoping to talk more about displays and digital pathology. Okay, great. So I think, paradoxically, you know, displays are at the front and center. And many people would say, or I've heard it said, this is your new microscope, basically, the display you're looking at. But on the other hand, it seems that it could potentially be overlooked, right? It's one component in a larger in a larger system. And so, Let's just start at the beginning. There's different levels or grades of displays. And could you talk about roughly what this means? Like I've heard the term medical grade tossed around and consumer grade or off the shelf displays. And I think, you know, at some level there's, you know, technology is moving so fast and we can go down to Walmart and get the state of the art piece of equipment. So what is it, what are really the differences in what we would call medical grade or off the shelf? Is is that a real thing? And how did this classification come about? Yeah, certainly. Uh, first, I do want to hit on the, the first point you make about how, you know, the display is sort of simultaneously overlooked and unappreci- underappreciated at the same time. And, and I really just want to hit home that it's, it's really, it's the eyepiece of the whole slide imaging system. It's what's going to sit on the surgical pathologist's desk. It's what they're going to stare at for potentially, you know, 12 hours a day. And, and so it needs to be good because we ultimately, you know, in the field of digital pathology, whether you're, you're an informaticist at an institution or if you're a, a company that's trying to market your product, you know, you need buy-in from the frontline surgical pathologists who are going to be using this equipment. So I, I, you know, I really want to just emphasize that. 
that, first and foremost. And then to your second point in terms of talking about the different classifications or grades of displays, what I really want to point out here is that you, you sort of have two axes for describing a display. The first is whether that is FDA cleared for an intended use case, so in our case, you know, digital pathology, or if it's not FDA cleared. And then the second axis is this consumer grade or consumer off the shelf, these are, these are uh, interchangeable, versus a, say, medical grade display. And, and really what that comes down to is whether something is consumer grade or medical grade, it, it really is almost more of a marketing term. And it just depends on how the vendors are, are marketing this uh, to consumers. And we can talk in, in broad terms, however, and, and I will say that medical grade displays, they're sort of born out of digital radiology, who, you know, as you're, you're, you're well aware of, probably has, has sort of beaten us to the punch in terms of uh, digitization, you know, of their workflows. And, and these displays, the, the medical grade displays, they do tend to have stricter QA and QC for uh, criteria like luminance and contrast. So in other words, they're, they're often brighter and a lot of times they'll have sensors that can run, say, like self-check programs that will you know, allow the, the display to, to calibrate itself in some ways. However, they also tend to be quite expensive. They can go into you know, the several thousand dollar range, and they also tend to be made of older technology. So for instance, you mentioned going down to Walmart, you know, you can, now we've got all these displays coming out with say OLED and, and you know, HDR and, and 4K is becoming a standard. And, and some of these things can be gotten for just a few hundred bucks. So they, you know, the consumer grade systems are gonna be much cheaper. And in some ways better, in some ways maybe a little bit worse. But it's, I guess, the the big frustration that I have is that there's there's sort of an absence of of choice for pathologists in the matter. Okay. Yeah. All right. So give it to us straight. So what you know, with technology evolving so quickly, you know, and with displays being ubiquitous in our lives, you know, like our computer monitors, gamings, you know, any displays you'd see at the airport, you know, telling you where, when your flight's going to take off, you know, displays are phones. everywhere. <laughs> and so, you know, so is, so first is, are the medical grades actually better? And then point two, does it even really matter? Because I think those will get into, is it really just a matter of validation, like what you can demonstrate works in your lab and what you're comfortable with? Yeah, I, I really think the latter. You know, I really think it, it it comes down to what works works in your particular workflow. I will admit that uh, in the the data that that we've presented at uh, you know the digital pathology visions that the medical grade displays can do quite well in terms of in terms of luminance but they can be inferior in other metrics such as uh, uniformity that also depends on which particular um, FDA cleared medical grade display you're talking about because there is difference in the performance between say the system the the display that's bundled with Leica versus the display that's bundled with the Philips pip system so it, the performance can be pretty variable and then when you compare these to some of the high-end uh, displays, such as the professional grade systems, which are sort of a consumer grade display in, in a sense, but it's being monitored towards people like uh, graphics professionals and photographers. And in some ways, the medical grade displays can be inferior. And it just sort of depends on the metric you look at. Okay. And you said there, was, there were two axes, if you will. So one would be quality, and then the other would be the regulatory aspect, You know, whether or not it's FDA cleared or not. So... I want to get into the FDA cleared because I think that's kind of a, a loaded term and people have opinions about that. But before we do that, you were talking about how the you know criteria for evaluating these displays and you 
mention terms like luminance and other things like that. So things like, so just tell us, you know, how do we evaluate the displays, you know, objectively? So you talked about luminance, uniformity, and color accuracy. What do those terms mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think these are terms that, that pathologists should try to, you know, familiarize themselves with. But the, the three and the, you know, the data that we, we presented recently at a, at a conference was uh, basically luminance, uniformity, and color accuracy. And so the way to think about luminance, first and foremost, is that's essentially an objective measurement of brightness. So when, you know, for any average computer display, you'll sit there and, and you know, you can hit the buttons and, and go through the, you know, customize your, your current settings, and they'll almost always put things in terms of brightness. And very frequently that goes from, say, like 0 to 99 or, or something like that, 0 to 100. And that's just the very uh, fuzzy subjective metric. Those, those numbers there, they don't mean anything. Sometimes they'll put a percentage, but even that like doesn't necessarily linearly correlate with, with luminance. So basically, luminance is something that we can actually measure, and we use devices such as spectrophotometers uh, to do so. So basically, just think about, you know, as an objective measurement of brightness. Second term that, you know, you mentioned was uh, uniformity. And that's essentially the difference in measurements, typically luminance, between two different regions of the screen. And so the way we evaluate that is, is once again, we'll have a, a, a spectrophotometer, a, a sensor, and we'll put that on different parts of the screen and take measurements from different areas. And so frequently, you'll you'll see the screen split up into sort of a series of tic-tac-toe squares, like a three-by-three three grid and you'll measure all the different squares on there and see how they compare with each other. And so what can happen is you can have a display that's brighter, say, in the center, but a little more dim on the outside, or vice versa. And then lastly, you get into color accuracy. And that, that's something that, you know, it gets a little trickier to understand because you have to use these metrics such as like the most common one is Delta E2000. And that's sort of the difference between... Like if you have a color swatch, you know, what is the difference between like the ideal red versus the red that you actually got? And, and this applies to, say, like paint that you put on your wall. It applies to, you know, computer displays. It applies to a lot of different um, industries. Anyone that, that is trying to make sure their, you know, product is that ideal shade of red. And so it's all about sort of consistency and making sure that... For instance, in our in our field, making sure that Eosin looks pink and it looks consistently pink, and it looks that that pink looks the same across multiple scanners, multiple displays, you know, multiple pathologists that they, they can all agree that that looks indistinguishable. So how does now how does this work when we measure or assess these things? Is this a one-time measurement and then the device works that way forever? Or is it something that has to be calibrated on a regular basis? And is there ongoing QC checks and, and things like that? Well, you know, and that's that's kind of precisely the problem is in general, I feel like we, we don't measure these things. Definitely when you get, you know, when you purchase a whole slide imaging system and you get your display and you get your scanner, they've certainly at, at the factory have been, have been calibrated and come with some degree of, of like a color profiling. But I feel like we as the end users aren't really familiarizing ourselves with, with this process as much as we should. And, and we definitely don't do it as much as say like radiology does. Now, uh, that being said, what we're sort of proposing, what our, our working group has, is that you know you should be able to acquire, say, your own spectrophotometer colorimeter, which which most of them aren't aren't that expensive, 
and you do a two-stage process. What you would do is an, essentially an initial profiling step where you are calibrating your display to an external standard. And so usually that might be like a specific uh, color space, for example, like most commonly an sRGB, but you know you might also do something like Adobe RGB, which which uh, incorporates a broader range of colors. But you could you know you could pick one essentially at will. And then, you know, you could do this on, on all of your displays. And so then all your displays would essentially be calibrated to the same standard. And so hopefully there'd be greater consistency between each display, even if they're of the same model. And then over time, you know, you would do some sort of follow-up measurements to make sure that that particular display has remained in spec. And, and one thing I want to emphasize here is that people in other fields, they do this all the time. Radiologists are always doing this, and they employ medical physicists to essentially do this for them. And photographers and other, you know, visually oriented fields, you know, this is a regular thing for them. It's just that we haven't really gotten into it because, you know, we're really really only now starting to see, I feel like, digital pathology really take off. Okay. I mean, that, that brings up some incredibly interesting questions. You know, how, what is the level of proficiency with, you know, with technical aspects and displays and, you know, things like that, that pathologists are going to have to be familiar with either, you know, just to function on a daily basis or to be nominally the lab director, right, to oversee this whole thing. I mean, I remember back to my days in training and, you know, there was always this technical burden and some pathologists, you know, kind of just went along for the ride and, and some actually figured out how this stuff worked. I remember in my training, the the, one of the older pathologists, you know, this is in the late 90s. So, I, you know, my teachers were like from the 1950s and 60s, they were trained and they said, would say things like, well, how many of you actually know how colder illumination works? How do you, do you know how the, how to work the condenser on your microscope? And that kind of, that kind of startled me into taking it seriously. And then, you know, like same thing for the H&E you were talking about, like if you're a pathologist and you find yourself in a community hospital doing frozen sections, you better know how the, the pink and the purple stains work and the alcohols and the, the dehydrations and the bluing solutions, you, you know, how that whole process works because you might find yourself alone without the technical support. So what is the, the general level of proficiency that we as pathologists are going to have to come to you know it's it's funny you mentioned that because i you know i i my uh mentor here at, at michigan uh ulysses belize uh you know one of the points that he always hits home with any digital system is the idea of the point spread function and that's that's kind of a complicated subject but it's just has to do with kind of like when you're talking about microscope resolution we're talking about the ability to discern two points from each other it's kind of a similar idea but in the digital space but anyway he go, he, he he frequently uh to his frustration many pathologists don't understand that whereas if you you did ask a radiologist they would usually be able to tell you so but much to his consternation but but it's it's basically uh yeah there's going to be different levels of, of proficiency and expertise in, in these different systems i i think that as pathology becomes a more subspecialized field and as say digital pathology and, and pathology informatics in general you know, as it's become its own boarded uh, specialty, you know, I, I think that's something that that people like like you and me and you know anyone who's who's really uh, you know enthusiastic about digital digital pathology has the potential to be the sort of expert in their department or in their you know pathology practice. So so I think some of this is going to be a matter of subspecialization. 
But at the same time, obviously, people do need to have a certain level of proficiency, like like you mentioned with the microscope, you know, being able to run just sort of very basic uh, maintenance and, and making sure that you're, you know, in, in color illumination and making sure that, yeah, just making making sure everything's uh, working appropriately. And to that end, I'm, I'm going to plug myself a little bit. We did recently release a paper in the Journal of Pathology Informatics entitled, you know, Welcome to Your New Microscope. And it's essentially a review paper that goes through basically everything that's been published on on displays and digital pathology to date, but also goes over a lot of the basic terminology, you know, some of which we've already talked about, like luminance and, and uniformity. And so I would encourage if, you know, anyone who's listening, if they want to, you know, learn more detail about all this, that that's, a you know, in our opinion, <laughs> obviously, that's a good starting point. Okay, excellent. Yeah, we'll put a, we'll put a link to that in the in the show notes. And now, as promised, let's talk about the FDA. So I think this is probably the source of, you know, it's a loaded <laughs> term, as I suggested. I think, number one, because it leads to a lot of confusion. And number two, I think many people have opinions, right or wrong, about regulation, right? They're either afraid of it, intimidated by it, or against it, or maybe a few actually enjoy it. You know, but I think... <laughs> It means different things to different people. So, I mean, let's be clear. So the FDA regulates medical devices, and there's class one, class two, and class three. And so so class three devices are approved, right? And those are for when, you know, decisions are made in patient care, basically. And class two is what we're talking about, right? So monitors and other components in digital pathology are class two medical devices. Is that accurate? Yeah. And then in, okay. And so in class two, things are cleared rather than approved. And that is kind of a lesser claim. And the spirit of it is roughly that it, that this is safe and will not result in harm. And it allows things to be marketed. And which is somewhat of a paradox though, because I've heard people from the FDA itself say that FDA approvals or clearances should not be used as marketing claims. And and then third, and then the last point I'll make, and then uh, and shut up is that the big misconception is that a device does not have to be FDA cleared for a pathologist to use. Merely, it needs to be FDA cleared for it to be marketed. But people can buy off the shelf solutions and validate them in their own systems. So what is exact? So. What what does it exactly mean to say that these displays are FDA cleared? So, you know, it's it's a lot to unpack there. I, I from the perspective of the vendors, it's a tremendous deal because you know, obviously, as as you mentioned, it sort of affects their ability to market their system, even though that's explicitly not really what it's supposed to be. Uh, but I feel like from a de facto standpoint, that's kind of kind of what it is. And then from our perspective, what what matters is it, it, it you know, whether something is FDA cleared or not affects how much, you know, testing we have to do when this device comes into our lab. And so one of the things, you know, as this relates to displays is essentially that these things are, they're cleared as a, a whole system. And so, you know, one of the things we need to talk about here is the the pixel pathway. 
And that's the whole process going from, say, the slide to the scanner, you know, whatever electronic transmission is going on to the, the server that's storing and presenting these slides, and then ultimately to the display, the, the computer, the display, and then the pathologist's eyes in brain and all of that is 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 basically the pixel pathway and so the problem is is that the you know the vendors of these whole slide imaging systems they'll they'll run these large uh, multi-institutional you know studies in order to prove uh you know efficacy of their of their system and everything that you know once that gets cleared uh everything that was a part of that process is essentially locked down and so whatever display was was uh you know cleared in that process is, is what you get when you purchase that system and so you know we kind of mentioned before a little bit about how displays are, are underappreciated in, in in some ways it's it's something that i i almost feel like when you're getting ready to purchase an fda cleared uh whole slide imaging system you should you should really make sure that you're happy with the display if if you're planning on using that system as it as it was intended because that's what you're you're stuck with and and for instance the uh the display is bundled with that is is a 1080p display um if i remember correctly and so for instance if if you really were hoping for a higher resolution system that might steer you towards a different system as just an example This episode of Digital Pathology Today has been brought to you in part by DJT Solutions, your single source for all your digital pathology requirements, from consultation services to system requirements, including installation, training, and life cycle support. Since 1995, DJT Solutions, we are your best choice for your best results. So my glib assessment is that there's nothing really special about the FDA clearance. It just so happens that those were the displays that were bundled with the FDA approved systems. Is that, is that accurate? Exactly. That's no, that's, that's a hundred percent correct. And what, what it is, is ultimately it's the vendors that choose which display they're going to bundle with that system. And, and it's really just, you know, subjectively, I think they want to present their system in the best light possible. And so typically they're going to veer towards the medical grade displays that are being used in, in say like radiology as an example. Now there is a caveat there in that the display that's, that's bundled with the, the Leica system, it's, it's a Dell. It's actually uh, labeled for medical review purposes, which is distinct from, um, say, like some of the other displays that are out there that are being used for primary diagnosis and radiology. And so medical review from the perspective of like radiology terminology, that means that you could look at, like you can't render the primary diagnosis of a CT scan on it, but you could look at it, you know, maybe in another context. So like during a tumor board or during, you know, maybe if you're a clinician and you just want to have a decent, decent display, you know, they can look at there, but you can't render the primary diagnosis on that display. And that, that actually stands in contrast to some other medical grade displays out there. So it basically that's kind of, you know, what I was talking about earlier is like, what exactly is medical grade? And it's, it's kind of a hazy subject and it's hard to really nail down a strict formalized definition of that. But, you know, the point that I really want to make here is that you could sit there and you could go to, you know, whatever medical grade display vendor of your choice, Barco, whatever, and you could purchase, say, a, mi a million dollar medical grade display and put 
put that with your whole slide imaging system and, and you still would have broken your FDA cleared system and you would still need to revalidate. And so it's not just about quality. It's about it's about, you know, whether or not it was a part of that initial uh, clearance process. Okay, yeah. So you said the V word, validation. So let's talk <laughs> about what what it actually takes to to use this to use these systems in your lab. So have so first we have we debunked the myth that things need to be FDA cleared to use in your lab. Um, have we, have we debunked it? I you know uh, well yes in the sense of like strictly speaking no you, you don't have to. However, one of the things I, I get from talking to people is there's a lot of fear about breaking up an FDA cleared system even if you do a valid you know a, a, a thorough validation. I think a lot of people get concerned about um, you know the medical legal aspects of that and how does how would that look later if you're trying to defend yourself in court? Say why did you opt to to you know break your FDA cleared system. So I so I can say that while you know you don't have to, there's still a lot of fear in our field about that. And uh, which is kind of funny because there's so many other areas like like for instance we were talking about molecular earlier where you know so much of molecular is contingent on laboratory developed tests. Um, and you know we don't really kind of bat an eye on it there, but for whatever reason I think there is still some anxiety in the digital pathology space. Yeah, that's what I find incredibly fascinating is the parallels. I didn't even consider it, you know, before I, you know, took a keen interest in digital pathology, right? That the same principles, the exact same principles apply for validation. And then there's always this tension between FDA approved kits and then the laboratory developed tests. And so is there is there a lesser burden if you bring in, a, you know, an, an unmodified FDA system? That is, do you have to do, you, have, you would have to do like a verification that it works in your lab somehow. So you have to do something before you can start using it versus a full validation uh, in, in an LDT approach. Yeah, so um, strictly speaking, yeah, you you should be able to do a verification um, as opposed to the full, you know, kind of LDT approach. But I, I still find that people do pretty thorough testing setups, and I, I guess whether you call that validation or verification, I, I feel like usually people still use the terminology validation um, in that specific circumstance with the whole slide scanners. Even though, you know, as you mentioned, that stands in contrast from a CP standpoint, you know, how you would, how you would approach things. But but yeah, strictly speaking, yeah, you could. I I think people still uh, try to follow the sort of the cap recommendations, which uh, you know were put out with the the working group, you know, headed by uh, you know Liron Pantanowitz, who I, I think was on your podcast. One of the, I guess he might have been the first guest on your podcast, you know, where you're talking about 60, 60 cases for a, a specific use case and, and comparing that between you know say your whole slide imaging scan, or like how you, the, the digital pathology workflow versus the uh, you know microscopic workflow. So people people I think still are trying to hold to that, even if something is FDA clear. But that you know I can't speak for everybody though. Okay, yeah. So sp- yeah, I don't think we've actually drilled down on this specifically on this podcast. Uh, that like what is exactly involved in one of these validations. So you said 60 cases and what is the the gold standard? So you're comparing, you know, what you would get in a, an analog process, so a glass slide, H&E, microscope, pathologist rendering the diagnosis and then you're going to compare that diagnosis to what you get, you know, in an end-to-end digital pathology setup. So what 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 exactly are you trying to match up just if your diagnosis is correct if it's in the same ballpark you know what's the stand what's the criteria 
Yeah, that's you know that's kind of part of the problem is that there are you know recommendations you know from 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 you know CAP and you've got that paper in the archives of pathology discussing this in probably greater detail than I than I can here. But the idea is that you're going to take at least sixty cases for a for a use case. You know, you'll look at that either digitally or microscopically, and then you'll have a washout period for those you know those pathologists that looked at the cases of at least two weeks. You know, before they would look at it again on the other system. So whether you do digital first and then microscopic or, or microscopic first and then digital, um, you know, doesn't really matter. Then you would take 20 additional cases, I, I believe it is, for each additional application. So, so say like immunohistochemistry is, is a good example. And so what you're going to do is you're going to look at this from two, two perspectives. Once, once you've got your data, you're going to look at concordance and see, you know, were the, were the diagnoses the same? between the two and then and then people talk about ideas of say like major say like a major discordance or a minor discordance you know in terms of how far off were you in terms of the diagnosis and and one of the problems here is that yeah you're coming up with a number and you're you're getting a you know a concordance metric but it's still quite subjective because like what exactly falls into the area of, of being a major versus a minor discordance uh, as an example and then the other aspect of this of, of your validation is sort of the technical validation, and that's basically making sure that the slides were of sufficient quality. That's both the slide itself in terms of like you know how well the staining was done, and then are there any folds on on the the slide? And then you also want to ensure the quality of the scans. Are there any areas that are out of focus or fuzzy? And then lastly, you need to confirm that all material that was on the physical slide is in the digital. Um, you know, digital image. And, and that's no, you know, one thing I do want to say is we're, you know, we're, we're currently validating some, some new scanners from, from Leica here. And, and, you know, we've actually run into, you know, there's the, that, that's something that does involve troubleshooting. Let me, let me emphasize that. Okay. Yeah. It, it seems, um, I mean, I think we all appreciate the concept of validation and how important it is, but it seems very, very broad and very nebulous, right? You're, using only 60 cases and that's to be able to use the system in your lab for everyday use right so but as we know a lot of what we do is very repetitive very tedious and looking for the needle in the haystack right so have people raise concerns saying well okay it can get you in the same ballpark right like and you know if it's a big large tumor right i can say oh yes this is clearly high-grade adenocarcinoma right versus you know, did I find the the two glands of prostate cancer, right? Do we need to validate it? Have there, you know, have you heard objections that things that these need to be validated more rigorous, rigorously for very specific use cases, or are sixty cases just across the spectrum sufficient? You know, I mean, that's that's what ultimately it it, it comes down to the you know your lab director, um, and I think different people have different levels of. I don't know what what the right word is, you know, thoroughness or or how 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 you know thoroughness might might turn to paranoia, you know, in some in some situations, you know, I think that's something that that people disagree on on just how focused in, I guess, do you do you need to be? I mean, I think it's why it's good to you know here we're definitely doing more than sixty cases as an example. That's that's sort of the minimum. I think it's definitely good to get some challenging cases in there to to ensure that you know you're not you're not missing anything. But uh, 
you know, the other the other kind of aspect of all this is uh, our field itself is is still quite subjective. Obviously, there's certain subspecialties like like hemopath is a good example where they're you know pretty strictly follow the WHO criteria. But then there's also a lot of areas in surge path that are a lot more fuzzy. And there's even certain conditions. You know, people argue about being lumpers versus splitters. So how do you deal with concordance and and some of these and some of these situations where, where there's a little bit of arbitrariness i guess to it all i guess that that subjectivity is never really gonna go away so uh, one more question here about validations so we are here talking about displays right so how so what if you just want to change out your display what do you have to do then you want to swap it out you have to repeat a study with 60 cases just comparing the two different displays how does that work yeah so that's something that you know where where our working group is sort of coming from here is that we were proposing sort of a, a new way of doing this because you know strictly speaking yeah you would essentially um you know if you consider that a major major change then you would have to revalidate the whole system and i i, I don't know personally I, I i just find that kind of ridiculous and so basically what what we're proposing here and this is something we've actually done to some extent with with telepathology doing like the you know the live view instruments for say like frozen sections the idea would be is that you know once you've chosen your whole slide imaging system you would select a, a set of displays of interest you might pick you know at least a couple of different ones and you would conduct a, a series of experiments a series of measurements you know like we mentioned before things like luminance uniformity and color accuracy then you would pick one after you've established what their, you know, sort of their baseline um, characteristics are. You would pick uh, one one type of display and you would validate your system based on it. And then the idea there is that you would write up in your SOP, oh, it can reach this level of luminance, it has this level of, you know, the of variance, I guess, over time, and it has this level of uniformity and this level of color accuracy. So you would, you would establish these criteria. And then you would say that, you know, you may use another display that, that meets or exceeds uh, these specifications. And the, you know, the argument that we're making is that essentially you should be able to swap out that display at will as, as say, superior models come out. So the idea there, you know, and, and I guess the most extreme example of this is to, you could validate your display, or I'm sorry, validate your, your whole slide imaging workflow using a really crummy display you know something that's really really terrible and then you you're if you can prove that pathologists can still diagnose on that accurately then why not be able to switch that out for a nice 4k display because you've you've shown that that's not the bottleneck there and you know no one's no one's really done something quite that extreme but that that's something what i'd really like to see honestly but but i think what we're going to try to do or what we are doing is is to pick something that's like a more standard standard class of, of display a consumer grade display and then validate based on that and then and then there's the potential to you know to move to things that are sort of higher higher quality or higher higher standards well, Dr. Jacob Abel, thank you so much uh, for being with us. So before we wrap up, I just want to ask you, what, what excites you? And where do you see this field going in the next 10 years? Yeah, it's really twofold. I would say from a clinical standpoint, I really look forward to the maturation of products in the digital pathology space. That includes the, the whole slide imaging scanners, that includes the displays, but also includes things like the, uh, you know, all the image analysis algorithms and AI products that, you know, we're starting to see uh, be developed. I really look forward to seeing those be 
be conducted as essentially like virtual assays or as, as things that can supplement a, you know, a pathologist's daily workflow. And then I, I guess from a more translational standpoint, I'm really looking forward to the production of high quality databases. And I'm looking to things like TCGA in, in particular, where they have uh, co-occurring whole slide imaging data and uh, next generation sequencing molecular data. Because something that gets me really excited is the, the correlations between, you know, the things that pathologists have been looking at for, you know, a century to these novel sequencing technologies and, and certain, you know, markers or, or findings uh, there. And, you know, and then what kinds of uh, things can you do with that in terms of uh, image analysis and deep learning and, and other modern uh, analytical modalities. So those, those are the things that, that I guess excite me the most. All right. Well, we've been discussing uh, digital pathology displays with Dr. Jacob Abel from the University of Michigan. We'll see you next time on Digital Pathology Today. This has been Digital Pathology Today. Please be sure to subscribe. Thanks for listening.